Christ calls us to look at life as a whole. Some Christians teach that you have to give your whole life to God, that you have to be wholly devoted to God. But that's not a healthy way to live because then you'd be so heavenly minded that you'd be no earthly good. Solomon wrote this same sentiment in Ecclesiastes, saying, Do not be too righteous and do not act too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? In some way, he is saying, Don't be too religious. Why? It's because the Bible teaches us about balance. Its main thrust is focused on God's providence, what God is up to in the world. But as Solomon acknowledged, religion has a place in one's life, but it should not be one's life. Do you see what I'm saying? Like the person who is into fitness. They go to the gym for an hour and that's all. Fitness is not their life, but they devote some time to it so that their whole being benefits from it. You see, for a long time, Christianity and its disciplines were seen as something one had to be all in or all out on. You were either super religious or a secular modern person. The latter being the popular trend, a lot of people have stopped making attending church a regular thing. And with that, prayer and Bible reading may slow down. And with that, Christianity is losing more and more followers each year. Instead of making our church into a concert hall with a live rock band performance each week, instead of getting involved in this political or social justice issue, instead of focusing on why the world is so messed up, I want to actually focus on why I think we're messed up. Because whenever someone talks to me about some issue, for example, let's say climate control, <laughs> I just asked them if they have their climate under control. Jesus said, before you worry about the speck of dust in someone's eye, make sure to take care of the plank in your own. You see, we are Christians because Jesus has called us to be like him. If that's not your goal, well, then you are just a church attender. Church is a place where we teach you to be like Jesus. That should be our main focus. As Jesus taught his disciples, so I also teach that we are all to take up our own crosses and follow him. And what that means is that we have to become the best version of ourselves possible. That's what Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross because he had to live up to who he was. He wasn't going to de deny who he was to earthly kings and rulers. That's what Jesus did with his life. He lived into who he really was. In chapter uh, 5 of Hebrews, it tells you how Jesus became the man we now know today. It says this, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. It says that Jesus had to become perfect. The real translation of that word perfect is whole or complete. Jesus wants that for us. And he even says to the crowds during, this, uh, during his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Be perfect, be whole and complete, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
Hebrews 5 tells us that Jesus did this through what? Through prayer. So how can prayer help us? Maybe you are a good employee, but you're not such a good family member. Maybe you're a great person to everyone around you except yourself. You don't take care of yourself. You don't sleep. You're constantly feeling drained. See, what Jesus does is Jesus turns on the light. John 1 says that the light came into the dark. God's light came into this dark world. And it says that the darkness didn't like it. That the darkness wanted the light to go away. When you invite Jesus into your life, you are inviting light into your life. And remember that because we're going to be talking about prayer today and we're going to see how Jesus shows us how to use God's light, which I'll call God's flashlight. And it turns on when we pray. And I will tell you this, God's flashlight is annoying. See, we all have our own flashlights and we call it our perspectives. Our flashlight is like Instagram or Facebook, because there I posted the highlights of our Jersey Shore vacation. That's called editing. I just showed you the good parts. We all do that. We want to look good at the wedding, so we lose 10 pounds. We do it for others, but not for ourselves. And that's because our perspective is limited to only what we see and listen, to only what we want to see. And there are a lot of people, let us say people who may drink a bit too much when they get home, who are great people, but there are areas of their lives they don't want to confront. And that's where God's flashlight comes in. You see, maybe we have some things in common with Jesus' opponents, because God's flashlight, God's perspective, when it comes to us, sees way more than what we may want to see. When we make space for God in meditation, when we begin to learn how to listen and speak to God in prayer, well, then God's light can do its work. If we invite God's light into our lives, then we will start to see that uh, there are things that we don't want to see. But then we'll begin to accept the things that we don't understand and start asking God the right questions. Then we begin to be self-analytical, self-aware, we start to see our inability to listen and work on areas of our lives. We can see our procrastination and start working on that. We can see our disorganized life, how our disorganized lifestyles might be stealing time from us. We can start working on that. See, God's light reveals to us who we really are. It allows us to see exactly what God has created in us. And then begin the journey of self-discovery and becoming. And this all happens through prayer. There's a story in the Bible about Joshua and Caleb. There are, uh, these are these uh, guys that would come after Moses to lead the Israelites. And God had told uh, Moses that he would give the Israelites a land flowing with milk and honey. And the people got excited about that. They started to think that they would just walk into the land of Canaan and the people living there would just surrender and let the Israelites take it. The Israelites sent out 12 people who would go scout out the, the land that God said would be theirs. 
And when they came back, 10 of them said it was impossible, <laughs> that the land was filled with too many people who all looked too strong and too powerful to overtake. 10 of them reported that back to Moses. But Joshua and Caleb gave a different report. They said that the land was open for their taking and that God was right. It was a land of fl flowing with milk and honey. Why the difference? It's because Joshua and Caleb went to the land with God's flashlight. They went there with God's perspective, and that was the difference. The other ten went in with their perspective. And with their perspective, they could only see how strong their opposition would be. But for Josh and Caleb, who were looking through God's light, they looked at the whole picture. They didn't just look at their opposition. They also looked at themselves. Joshua and Caleb had bought into God's vision and plan, which they only could have discovered in meditation and prayer. Through their own practice of prayer and meditation, they were able to see themselves, and that changed the whole situation. Because now victory didn't rely on their enemy's weakness, but instead it relied on the strength of the Israelites, a strength they didn't know they had until they prayed. Prayer gave Joshua and Caleb eyes to see and ears to hear what God was saying, and it countered what the other ten reported. In meditation, we create a space for God and a space for us to sit and talk. But prayer is when we begin talking. When our twins were a year old, we found out that our son Max had autism. And I'll never forget when I brought my complaint to God in prayer. I meditated, and then I began to tear up and yell at God. How could you do this to us? Why did you allow this? Why did it have to be our son? Why don't you heal him? Heal him, God. You healed all those people in the Bible. Why can't you just heal my son? And I let out all my anger and grief to God in prayer. And do you know what happened? All of a sudden, I felt a presence come around me. And in my mind, I heard, Sean, he's already healed. He's already perfect. You just don't see it yet. In my kingdom, Max, your son, he'll be made whole because there's no autism here. I got an answer, and that answer changed my perspective. That I only see this life, but I don't see the life to come. But in prayer, I was able to see it because I was reminded of all these promises in Scripture. And God brought them to light in my prayer. From that day on, even into today, I live knowing that he is already healed. But for now, in this life, it might be a cross to bear. And we're going to bear it together. You see, prayer is talking with God openly and honestly. It's something you do regularly because every morning you wake up is a day that you must begin with prayer. God, God's light won't impose on you going to have to be invited. Maybe you don't want to see who you really are. You may have some reservations about praying, but know that to see who you really are is the moment that you start really living. So how do we pray? The way I do it is tied to my meditation. I have a playlist 
where I put a couple of quiet instrumental songs on. And during the first song, I meditate. I don't say anything. I just focus on my breathing. And when the second song begins, I start talking. I tell God what I'm grateful for and ask that he always remind me of what is most important in this life. For me, that's my family. Then I think locally. Who around me can I lift up to God in prayer? Who needs God in their lives? And as someone talks with their friend, I inform God of what's going on down here and ask for his wisdom and knowledge to fill my mind so that I can see as God sees. I then pray for people and ask God if there's a way I can help uh, that he'll show me. If it's beyond my control, I then ask God to take care of it. I then tell God what I'm going to do that day and ask if there's anything I'm missing. I ask God to reveal to me what I don't see and ask that he show me. I ask God for understanding. I ask God for a peace that I don't have. I ask God to help me not to worry too much. And God tells me that I need to work on having faith in him and that I need to trust this process called life. This is a daily practice that works when you activate it in your life. And I believe prayer contributes to a healthier lifestyle. We send our kids to school to fill their minds. We send them to sports to keep them active. We take care of their body and minds. But the Bible tells us that the human being is made up of three parts. The spirit, the mind, and the body. And that means we have to take care of our spirits. The spiritual part of ourselves is vital to our health because it establishes our attitude. Unfortunately, there's no medication you can take to have a better attitude, but that's because it has nothing to do with our minds or bodies. This part of ourself needs as much, as much attention as the others. And so the disciplines I'm going to be teaching you are meant to be simple exercises to strengthen and build up your spiritual nature. When Jesus teaches his disciples not to worry, it seems like an absurd thing to say. But that is only when you view it through the mind and the body. The spiritual part of us loves spending time with God in prayer, but it takes discipline to settle down the other parts when we want to practice it. That's why it's called a discipline. And that's why we're called disciples. Just like a marathon runner who runs every day to maintain high cardio, so the Christian must pray every day to get into a place where they can speak and hear God guiding them wherever they need to go. So this week, I'm going to be praying for all of you to begin praying, meditating, and making it part of your daily practice. And my hope is that you'll begin to see all that God sees. When you see what God sees in you, then you'll get comfortable with this process and know that you now have your own personal therapist, God. In prayer, you can express your gratitude to God. In prayer, you can express to God how you're feeling and in prayer, you can begin to cultivate a friendship with your Creator. This week, feel free to reach out to me if you'd like to discuss this further or pick up the book, A Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, and read the chapter called The Discipline of Prayer. Can you imagine what our town would be like if all of us became a people of prayer? A people who saw life with God's flashlight? Well then, we might become known we might become known as the church was known back in the day as a light on a hill. What are we all going to be working on this week? On establishing the discipline of prayer 
Now, next week, we're going to look at the discipline of fasting. So if you don't like these disciplines we've looked at, we have some more challenging ones coming up. But we're getting back to the basics here at the United Church of Christ Southbury. Something, bizarrely enough, you won't find many churches teaching. That as Christians, we're called to be like Christ. And it all starts with getting in touch with God. And that happens through meditation, and it happens in our prayer. This week, find a spot to meet with God and begin listening. And then start talking. Let God's light shine over your life. And trust that what the Spirit shows you is where your spiritual journey is taking you. Amen. Thank you.